0: Hello and welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my five-year-old daughter. Series six of the podcast is focused on solo parenthood stories and speaking to a range of solo mums about their path to parenthood.
1: Before we get to today's podcast episode, I'd love to tell you a little bit about the things that are on offer to you. Firstly, we've got Thriving Solo, a membership community for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood. By joining that community, you get access to members-only podcast episodes with some really great guests with really informative topics. Before we delve into today's episode, I wanted to give you a very brief overview of my Thriving Solo membership community. If you become a member, you get access to an exclusive members-only podcast, which is episodes from experts on donor conception and solo parenthood. You also get access to a whole range of resources, downloadable booklets on numerous topics as well as many webinars. We hold one community call a month, one for people considering solo parenthood and another for those who are already parents, as well as member-only meetups. I'd love to see you there for only 2 a month. Check it out. And now to today's episode where I speak to solo parent, Talia.
2: Talia, thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: You're more than welcome. Before we get into it, would you like to give yourself a quick introduction?
3: Yes. My name is Talia and I'm a solo mother by choice. I have a three and a half month baby called Millie who was my second pregnancy on this journey to be a solo mum by choice and my first ended in a miscarriage but she's my rainbow baby and she's absolutely perfect.
2: And we are doing this in nap time, aren't we? So the life, the life of a solo parent that you can absolutely still try, try to do things if you time it round the naps.
3: Exactly. And as I, as I said, I think I need to keep staring at this monitor because although this is nap time, things change so quickly in these early stages. Yesterday, the nap time was 12 till 12 till 2. Today it could well be twelve till twelve twenty. I, exactly. I have no idea. And they lull you into a false sense of security
2: sometimes, don't <laughs> they? And you're like, it's twelve till two. That's what it is. And then one day you're like, what happened?
3: Why? Yeah, you- absolutely. Yeah. It's funny because there's uh, I'm in a, I'm in a group of um, solo mothers by choice, and people that I met a few years ago, and we're still very good friends. And um, a few of us had um, our children at the same time. And we call ourselves the springtime baby group. And sometimes I message them and I say, I've nailed it, this has happened, he's done this, and then the next day it's completely undone. Uh, um, so i stop stopped speaking and stopped saying things like that because actually it's, you know, you could be pr- proud of to punch one day and think you've nailed it, and the next day it'll just fall to pieces. It's <laughs> any, <if> anyone's
2: <laughs> guess, isn't it? Yes, So exactly. loads to chat through, but do you mm. want to start by just talking to us around your decision-making. So Mm -hmm. when did you start thinking about being a solo parent
3: by choice? I think before I started thinking about being a solo parent by choice, I desperately wanted to have a child. I have always wanted to be a mum for as long as I can remember. And I based that on lots of my relationship choices ended up in the wrong relationships quite often, because all I wanted was to have a baby. I would think about, if I was going on a date, I would think about what that person would be like as a dad, what our children might look like, rather than what might he be like in a relationship.
2: Would you say you persevered with people that you probably wouldn't have done 100%, otherwise? 100%. Yeah, 100%, it's hard,
3: isn't it? Yeah. yeah ended up with the wrong people, sometimes would get into relationships and actually, you know, it was so high on my agenda. I'd been in situations where, you know, I was in a relationship with someone for a few years and he actually turned around and said, you know what, I really don't want children. That really annoyed me because I was like, well, we could have said this from the get-go because I've always been very, very clear from literally the first date that that's what I wanted. And then the relationship that I ended during lockdown actually We were trying and my mum actually said, you know, so my mum was the same as me. I'm her only child and she really wanted to be a grandparent and, you know, I was 38 at the time. And she said, I'm going to pay for you both to go to a clinic and find out what the hell's going on. And it, you know, it it was identified that I was fine, which I knew that I I would be. And the nurse did say that the, the guy that I was in a relationship with at the time couldn't have children because he had no sperm. I wasn't that surprised because he was a bit of a party animal and actually the bad parts of our relationship started to feel even worse because I was like you can't actually offer me anything now and lockdown was a really testing time for us and his kind of partying so to speak got out of control, drinking a lot in the house and I ended, up, I ended the relationship, and I, I said, "This isn't for me. It's, it's you know, you're not the person that I want to be with." When I think back, you're not the person that I would have wanted to have a child with. Mm. But I was
2: so desperate
3: for a child, I, I just didn't think beyond how am I going to get pregnant.
2: So These like massive blinkers on, don't you? I mean, I, I it yeah. resonates so much with me where you look back and think, "What was I doing?" But <laughs> but you just you're just so focused
3: on yes, the end yeah yeah exactly that and uh, interestingly when I split up with him my mum was talking to a friend of ours and she's a doctor and she said why don't you just tell Talia to do it on her own and initially my mum thought bloody cheek absolutely not brilliant (laughs) (laughs) why would she do that and then she must have thought about it, because actually it was her that said to me, I think this is a really good idea, right. and here are all the reasons why I think it's a good idea. And because I'd already started the conversations with the clinic, with my ex-partner, I just went back on the previous email that we had, obviously took him off the chain and said, we've now split up, I'm now single, can I have a baby on my own? Love it. And, they, and they said, yes you can. It was a London women's clinic and then they spoke me through everything, had a chat with one of the nurses and then my journey just started. And actually, as soon as I started on that journey to thinking about... Having a child on my own, nothing else mattered. It almost felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I was going to do this, no matter how many times it took me, no matter what way I was going to do it. Well, I say no matter what way, I knew that I definitely wanted to do it through a clinic. And interestingly enough, as desperate as I was to have a child, I didn't want to. I didn't want to just have sex with somebody to have a child. You know, I did. If I was going to do it with a man, it was going to be in a relationship. And the decision to do it completely on my own, I wanted it to be that way, completely on my own. And I think, you know, people decide to do this solo parenting thing in lots of different ways. But for me, the best way for me was to do it through a clinic and with an unknown donor. Yeah. So, yeah, so I started the journey there really and as I said once you get on that train you just can't get off until yeah. you have your baby in your arms it's
2: it, quite even amazing the way even the way you're talking about it you just seem so happy and confident and carefree rather yeah. than all the stress that comes with trying to find the yeah. right person to do it yeah. with. once you've almost like realized that oh hang on a minute I could leave all that behind and just bit, it sort of lifts yeah. the weight up, like you say. Yes. So.
3: It really does. Mm-hmm. I feel that you know it was a really long journey, but as I said, once you've got your baby in your arms, it's so worth it. Yeah. I would do it all over again, which I'm sure will come through everything yeah. happened in between, but I'll do it all over again to have my baby, the baby that I've got. Um, it's it's an amazing journey.
2: And I just I wanted to pick up just briefly on something you said with an ex-partner that you spent Mm. some time with who said years into the relationship they Mm. didn't want children. I just Mm. think that's the absolute worst thing that anyone can Mm. do. It's like, Mm. don't they understand that they are possibly taking the chance Mm. of being a parent away from us? Mm.
3: Absolutely. It was heartbreaking. And it was the reason why. Like, well, I had to walk away. Um, But also, you know, when I do think back, that wasn't that surprising in terms of the type of man that he was. You know, it was just another thing that he did that, you know, upset me and all my friends and nobody was that surprised. Unfortunately, you know, I went on to meet somebody not dissimilar, but but I, I, yeah, I, you know, I I don't I didn't always pick very well, but again, that was part of being desperate to have a child.
2: Yeah, and I know
3: some people. You know, I've got friends that are desperate to be in a relationship. It was less that for me. It was that you know I was desperate to have a child, and actually, if I'm completely honest, I didn't realise there was another option. I, think I that's
2: never the, about it. That's the brilliant thing about um the more that we can normalise that this is an option the less people will put themselves in these situations where we're, you know, dating the wrong people just because it feels like at the time that's the only way to to make sure you don't miss out on motherhood.
3: You know, there's also a thing of, there were so many women out there that are still looking for that person. I met people and they weren't right. And I think if I was in a situation where I was looking and not meeting anyone, I think that's probably even harder, which is why I think it's really important for people like you to fly that flag and, you know, educate people on how this works, why people should consider it if they really want children. Because it's just the thought that there are so many people relying on meeting somebody to have something so precious that a lot of women really want. Some women don't mind and are happy without it, but I couldn't imagine my life without a child and actually if I hadn't found some of the groups I had and spoken to certain people it would never have been a possibility.
2: Yeah and I have people contacted me in their 50s saying oh I wish I would have sort of known about you earlier because I've missed out now it's too late for me and I you know uh, so it is important I I agree it's so good to raise the visibility of it so people mm. know what their options are. Absolutely. Yeah. So you decided to go for it solo. You spoke <laughs> yes. to the clinic. So what what were the next steps for you?
3: So I then had to go and oh gosh I've got to really think back now. It feels like such a long time ago. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to have all my checks. And I I did and everything was fine and I remember I was 38 at the time and I remember my doctor, Professor Macklott at the London Women's Clinic, who's absolutely fantastic, he said that, you know, my body is behaving like a 32 year old, which is a really good sign. In hindsight, you know, all of these things I say to make you feel really good don't actually matter because the journey is what the journey is. You know, my mum, I'm sure she won't, what well, she, she probably will mind me saying this, but, you know, my mum was still having a cycle every month and, and he was like, that's fantastic and bodes really well for you. So, you know, I was quite confident that actually this is going to work. It's going to work really quickly and it's going to be really easy and I'm going to have a baby this time next year and what I had a scan and they did notice that I had a couple of fibroids in my uterus so that was my first hurdle really and I was like wow okay maybe this isn't going to be as easy or as cheap and I had to pay to have my fibroids removed and I just thought it'd be easier to do it through the clinic and I did and then you know you've got your budget and your planner well I did anyway and that was like my well, three and a half thousand pound gone. And, you know, I had to wait for the, the, the healing process. And then, you know, you're going through your planner and that's another three months gone. And, you know, I'd started the journey in August and we're now in like January the next year, having had my fibroid operation. And then I decided that I would have something called an IUI once I'd healed. Mm -hmm. and my consultant said that I look look like a really good candidate for it so I booked in so no before that I went to the London Sperm Bank which is the sperm bank that's attached to the London Women's Clinic to look for the donor that I wanted to use and I found one and a couple of my friends came over to them about him obviously shared it with my mom my mum and i are super super close by the way and um, my mum was on board thought he looked great had the qualities that i would look for either in a man or i should have looked for in a man or that i would want my child to have and then strange things that i didn't necessarily want to put my child through like i wear glasses or i wear contact lenses. But actually, I didn't really want someone who also wore corrective, you know, eye lenses or anything, because it's a faff. And actually, it's not that easy having to put contact lenses in every day. It's another expense in your life. So I chose someone with 20-20 vision. And there were different things, and personality-wise, that I wanted to choose from a donor. So I was really, really excited to have chosen this donor. I didn't see any pictures of him. But, you know, I do say to people often that I know more about this donor than I've ever known about any man that I've ever dated and probably know more about him than most of my friends that are married know about their husbands, Um, (laughs) which I I think is um, quite interesting. And actually, I think one of my friends did challenge me once. And I said, "All oh, right, what what's your what blood type is your husband?" And they didn't know. So something that simple, you know, we have access to, and most people don't know about their partners, as well as the fact that you know you also have siblings, health history, grandparents, and you know sometimes parents, immediate family as well, which I think is really important. And you know, I also think this is probably different a different podcast session, but. I really think it's important that people who haven't been on this journey and don't really understand it, really understand and get to notice that what goes into finding a donor, I think some people still think it's quite seedy and it's of course not at all, you know, these donors the majority of them especially in the clinic they're very well educated a lot of them are probably like doctors you know who work in the field and see what women go through who so want to help us also their sperm is in quarantine for so long to make sure that it's like really good quality you know this none of this is done lightly and and I think you know I'd really like people to be educated on that but anyway that's another story
2: <laughs> <Totally>.
3: <laughs> I could ramble about all of this like <laughs> long enough so then they said the clinic said to me the nurse called me to talk about my IUI procedure she said "Put buy a bundle of three and you know it may not work the first time but I had in my head my consultant saying to me you're a really good candidate I had this unexpected expense of my fibroid procedure so I thought this is gonna work for me why would it not no one's ever said any reason why it wouldn't So I'm just going to buy one. I don't need to buy a bundle of three. It's fine. And actually, on the Solo Mothers by Choice Facebook group, when I was talking about having an IUI, people that had been in the group for a while before me, quite a few people messaged me and said, I'm just saying, go straight to IVF. And I was like, why would I do that? Oh, my God, my head's not even there. Thank you for your advice. But I'm going to stick with IUI because there's no reason why this isn't going to work for me. I was 38, was one of the reasons, but anyway, and I had just had fibroid operation. But my clinic convinced me that I'd be fine, right. which they shouldn't have, which is a little bit naughty, but anyway, they, they had high hopes. And we were on a call before my first IUI procedure, and my mum was on the call as well. And my mum said, because they were still at this point trying to persuade me to purchase a bundle of three, and my mum said. So, if Talia buys three and it works the first time, what happens? And the consultant said, Well, happy days for us all. (laughs) And I was like, Okay, fair. Uh, So I just lose my money. No, no, I'll just go with one. So I did, went with one. And of course, it didn't work. you spend like so much time during the scanning on the run-up to the IUI when they say oh you've got quite a few follicles I was nervous that there was a potential that I was going to have twins that's how much I thought this was going to work and when it didn't it literally floors you because I really had high hopes and then I went on to buy a bundle of three and people were still messaging me going don't buy the bundle of three just go to IVF But I didn't Bought the bundle of three and this happened over March, April, May, June, July and none of them work oh.
2: <laughs> and it must um, be hard because some people's coping mechanism is almost to presume they won't work almost as a way of managing 100%. but because you were like this is absolutely going to work yeah. do think it was harder for you to deal with than the, the disappointment
3: yeah I really think so I couldn't believe every time I got a negative pregnancy test I thought it was going Change in a matter of days, and it never did. Mm. I, I even at one point saw a very, 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 very faint line, which I mean, I don't know if it was my imagination, but there was definitely nothing there, and nothing had happened. And then on the start of the final one, I think I went for a blood test, uh, and obviously they confirmed that I wasn't pregnant. But you know, also. I just find in life you know when you work hard towards something you get what you want and you get what your heart desires and this was a rare occasion where I was like this is not working I'm not getting pregnant and I really want to and I've put so much effort into it I changed my diet changed my lifestyle you know completely stopped drinking you know did everything that in I'm sure you've covered this, but everything that in it starts with the egg says so you should do, I did. <laughs> and I was convinced that it would happen. And it didn't
2: that's why that's why I... it's it's so unfair the process, because you it's not about how much effort you put in or right. like it's literally just luck it seems isn't it? It do you know what I it mean is. there's or certainly so. there's an element of that I
3: do think that well, especially when it comes to IUI I think it's luck I really 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 do I think with IVF, IVF it's luck and science but I think IUI it is it's luck
2: and, and you speak to some people the people who are messaging you whose IUI didn't work who will tell you go to straight straight to IVF but you mm. also speak to some people who did have right. a successful IUI yeah. and they'll be like, start with IUI. Yeah, yeah. One of my close friends had a successful IV, yeah. a successful IUI when she was yeah. 40, first time. Wow. And of course, she's a massive advocate of start with IUI. Yeah, it's very yeah. much dependence on your own experience. And, absolutely. And absolutely. So.
3: And, and, you know, it's easy for me to say now because I've got my daughter, but actually when I look back I'm glad I did because I know what I'm like and if I'd have gone straight to IVF whether it had worked or not I would have thought at the back of my head oh what if I'd tried IUI and I did I tried it and it didn't work and I'm glad I did to be honest so I, I turned 40 and so I gave it I gave it a break so this was like two years from starting the process I was 38 and then I had my 40th birthday and I thought No, sorry, I rewind. That's not right. That's not actually true. So I started the process at 38 and did my IUIs, had my fibroid operation. IUIs didn't work. Then I decided I was going to go on to IVF. So I continued to be healthy, as healthy as I possibly could be, did all I could to try and increase my egg count went for a collection as the start of the IVF pro get pro program. And I collected 16 eggs. I think it was, I think eight or nine, nine fertilized and I had eight embryos in the end that I oh, throw. Wow. Yeah. And that was, I was 39 at the time. So that was a year after it was over a year after I'd started the whole process. And I, a month later, after the egg collection, I transferred my first embryo. It wasn't my best quality, it was the second best quality. And I can't remember why my consultant decided that we wouldn't. His exact words were, we'll leave Methy on the bench for now, but we'll use your number two. And I was like, okay, fine. So we did. Thank you. <laughs> I think it was because it was quite close to my egg collection. But anyway, we did. So we used I did my first transfer, embryo transfer, and it worked. And actually, I did a takeover for you, didn't I? At Christmas. Oh,
2: oh, yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. And you know, I was so excited. I think I'd just passed, I'm not sure if I'd no, I hadn't quite passed 12 weeks, but you know, I wasn't that bothered about that. I was just excited I was pregnant and I wouldn't share it. Because I think it's important to share, you know, when you're pregnant personally, because I have previously had loss, and actually, when people don't know about that loss, it's it's quite hard, but that's that's a different story. But I do, I'm a big advocate of shouting about it from early on, for me personally. Yeah. I was so excited. It was Christmas time, it was honestly the best Christmas I've ever experienced. And I told I'd lost my granddad a couple of years before, and I was very, very close to him. And I told his closest cousin, as part of your takeover, I told her for the first time.
2: Yeah. yeah."
3: (laughs) And she was like over the moon. And then I had a heavy bleed at the end of January, and I went to a local scanning place. And honestly, you know, you read about it, and they say... the the hardest words you ever hear are I'm so sorry there's no heartbeat and you can't imagine it you can't imagine it and honestly that they're the words that they said to me and it was just absolutely devastating I was with my mum and I couldn't actually believe that it was my life that that I was almost playing a part in yeah it's it was it was devastating because you know you have the initial shock and then there's another process you have to go through and I had to have an operation to have the baby removed because my body wasn't expelling it, and then you have to heal again. And then I just I was approaching my 40th birthday and I just thought I need to take a break from this. It's all consuming, didn't change the fact that. I wanted a baby more than anything in the world but I needed to step away because I felt like I was in a dark place you know I really wanted this thing to happen for me I I, you know some people a couple of a few IUIs is nothing but you know each time I did a pregnancy test that felt like a loss you know egg collection that's quite grueling on your body you know the adrenaline's up and down all the time the high of getting that positive pregnancy test and then the devastating low of losing your pregnancy so I went on holiday with some very well my best friends and I celebrated my 40th birthday came back parted lots it felt a bit like I never called it this, but it almost felt a bit like the last hurrah. I knew that I was going to get straight back on it as soon as I was ready to. And in my head, and I guess it's the the optimist in me, but in my head, I was like, "Well, I'm going to be pregnant soon, so you know, I'm just going to do this, get it out of my system, and then focus on getting pregnant rather than focus on trying to get pregnant. It was, it was, you know, it's going to happen."
2: I, I have and, uh, to say, I I love the optimist in you. So throughout <laughs> all of this, really really challenging times, I I can't even imagine once you've already gone through such a journey and then finally you think it's happened and for mm. them that to be taken away from you, it must mm-hmm. be super tough. And I'm sure mm. you, you went through a very tough time, but the the optimism that you somehow. Cat d- d- is that just part of your nature would you say I think
3: so yeah uh, I think so it's yeah it's it is because luckily you know I've got amazing people around me that encourage happiness and optimism and I just think I, I can't move if I'm sad so you know nothing gets done if I dwell so I've just got to keep on moving I've just got to keep on moving and I don't I don't necessarily believe that you know good things happen if you're happy or you're going to get pregnant if you're positive I don't believe in any of that it just helps me mentally and being around people i love and doing things that i enjoy makes me happy so and you know like i say i wouldn't have been able to move on and do another embryo transfer if i was feeling sad and feeling negative i just wouldn't have been able to get my head in that place I had to be optimistic, it was go- optimistic that it was going to work as well because otherwise I would have had to have put myself in the place of what if I have another miscarriage and that scared me so much, you know, it was the miscarriage that was scary but also the operation after was pretty horrific and, you know, they they left some behind after the operation and I was in a lot of pain and, and it was all a bit nightmarish to be honest. So, anyway, I did have another embryo transfer, and it's quite interesting actually because on the Solo Mothers by Choice Facebook group, often, you know, people that are preparing for embryo transfers, there's a lot of people that say, you know, do that. And I did it. Like I said, you know, I was very healthy. I read It Starts With the Egg. I did everything they told me to, but I did another embryo transfer after a couple of months of severe 40th celebration partying. Uh, and then I was like, I'm just going to go for it, whatever. Let's see what happens. And it worked. I fell pregnant. And I actually put two embryos in that time because I knew that if I was to miscarry again, I don't think there's much science and evidence behind it, but I read that if I was to put two in and I miscarried one, the chances are that other one could still survive. Wow. And the idea of me carrying again and being left with nothing, just I just didn't even want to go there. So I put yeah. two in and, you know, if I ha- were to have twins, I would have twins. Yeah, you um, knew that
2: but... that could be a consequence.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And but then, you know, I did also think back about the uh, back to the IUI. You know, when I was the nurse freaked me out about twins or triplets because I had lots of follicles and the chances are actually still quite low. So, so, But after my positive pregnancy test, five weeks into the pregnancy, I had a huge bleed, very similar to the bleed that I had when I lost um, the first pregnancy. And I sat in my bathroom and I sobbed. And my mum said, let's go to the scanning place. Let's get another scan. I said, there's no point. I don't want to. I know the baby's gone. I know like there's, there's, just, there's nothing. And then she said, can you at least email Professor Macdon, who's my consultant at London Women's Clinic? And I emailed him and I said, I've lost the pregnancy. I'm devastated. Why is this happening to me? What's wrong with my body? You know, it worked. I was pregnant. There was like, you know, I, I was taking, I was doing like five, six pregnancy tests a day. They would, I was definitely pregnant.
2: We should, we should and... have shares in pregnancy test companies, shouldn't we? Like I'm the <laughs> same. I've taken so many
3: in my in my life. It's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. And he said, Why don't you come in? I want to scan you myself. Right. He's a consultant. pretty much runs London Women's Community. He doesn't do that. And I said, there's no point, you know, save your time, it's fine, there's no point, the baby's gone, I'll just have to think about the next steps and I've got, you know, other. I've got quite a few embryos left, I'll just go again. And he begged me, please, can you come in? And my mum was like, come on, let's go. So we did. And to be honest, yes, I I, I am optimistic, but I had a huge bleed. I've been here before.
2: Yeah, it gets like, to a you point know. where you're like, I yeah. can't, you know, yeah, anybody... Yeah. The strange
3: thing is, I wasn't even... I was sad, but I wasn't... I was no longer as devastated as I was when I first had the bleed, because it was just one of those things. I have to pick myself up. I'm going to have to have another transfer. So I got into the room, and he said, I'm not going to speak for a while, because I just need to see what's happening. And it felt like quite a long time. And then he turned the screen around, and he said... Can you see that heartbeat? And I honestly felt like I was in a Disney movie. Wow. I said, are you sure? You know, this bleed that I had was huge. Are you sure? Oh my gosh, I like, I just, I could not believe it. And what had happened was that I had lost one. Yeah, and my little fighter was still going and growing. And you know, at five and a half weeks, I could see a heartbeat, which was great. And then yeah, that was that was it really. My pregnancy flourished, and I was 40 when I had her, 41 in May, and she came to afternoon tea with me at Fortnum and Mason. I love
2: it. Um,
3: <laughs> and we're actually having an amazing life together. And my mum is a doting, wonderful grandmother, and I feel like our dreams have come true. And interestingly, you know, people that about a dad, or how I did it, or a donor, I would say 99.9% of the time, people say, Well, that's the best way, or you're lucky, or you know, men are hard work sometimes, and you're really lucky that all you have to focus on is her. Um, and I see it, I see it myself, I see it with friends that are in relationships and married, and actually. For me, the first three months has been easier than their first three months.
2: Wow. It's so nice to hear these stories as well, isn't it? Because mm. I think you we have so much comparison, and quite often, I think people have rose-tinted glasses for the relationship. So people are like, "Oh, but it would be easier in a relationship." 100%. But actually, I try to give a balanced view to say there are some things that probably are easier, but there's many things that aren't. And the big one for me is just focusing on one relationship. You don't have to worry yeah. about another changing, complex Absolutely. relationship. Just Absolutely.
3: On You're right. And, you know, we are guilty as it as solo mothers, whether by circumstance or by choice in saying oh god if I had a man or if I had a partner I could do x y and z but not necessarily you know a lot of the time partners have their own issues and they're not as helpful as maybe you'd hope them to be so you're right we do have rose tinted glasses well I certainly don't anymore but a lot of people do and I, I think we really need to recognize that you know as much as People might say, I wish I had a partner. There were people in relationships that were like, I might as well be doing this on my own.
2: And do you know what? I think there's no question. Most people wish from time to time they had another pair of hands. Mm-hmm. But, but, but if I'm fully honest with myself, and I've talked about this with my solo parent friends, we've said, we'd like a cook, a cleaner, <laughs> um, you know, a DIY person, yeah. something to do all of the stuff.
3: Absolutely, it's not
2: really an appealing job. It's not, you know, it's not like, who's going to sign up for the stuff? It's a it's of hands. And actually, where you get that from, personally for me, is the community. It's the village. It's the support network. Absolutely. Because it it isn't only available from a partner. You can get these things from a variety of places. You
3: do. That's right. And, you know, I'm really, really, really lucky that, you know, I'm... I rented out my property and my mum and I uh-huh. bought a new house together and you know so my mum as much you know she works full time and she has a very demanding job, but you know, she is that other pair of hands a lot of the time. You know, she'll she does all my washing of my clothes and Millie's clothes, which is fantastic and you know, she's a help and she does, like I say, she works. So she doesn't help it in, at night time, but I breastfeed anyway. So there's not much she could do, which, by the way, I think is a real flaw in nature. I really think grandmothers should be able to breastfeed. I
2: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But I love, I love this. So what I love about what you've shared there is so many women feel like if they have moved back in with their parents or a parent, that they that's not where they want to be and what I love about how you've talked about it is actually it's a brilliant situation for you and I I, honestly if my mum I'm always trying to get my mum to move in (laughs) with (laughs) me I'd also be living the dream she's she's got wise to it she's like hell no (laughs) I'll give you I'll give you the help from around the corner but I want somewhere to be able to go for some space but I love hearing people talk about things differently embracing the situation I've had people who've moved in with siblings who have moved back with parents and it doesn't have to be a negative I think sometimes we've got it in our head that that's not where we expect it to be and therefore Mm. it's negative but the way you've talked about it it's super positive and I love hearing about that
3: it is it's really really positive for us and it works very very well I guess it's where it depends on the relationship you have with your parents as well. My mum, although she's very much my mom, we are best friends. You know, we are super, super close. And actually, you know, my mum's on her own and it just makes sense. There's no point in me being on my own with a baby and mum being on her own in a different house. Let's just like all live together. And actually, it's a bit like a history repeating itself. So My mum lost her mum at a very young age and me and my mum lived with my granddad until I was about 12. So, you know, it was the three of us and now granddad's no longer here and it's the three of us again. Yeah, so it just, it feels right. And like I say, it does feel a little bit like history is repeating itself again which is and in a nice way. it
2: might not be what the majority of people do, but it works really well for you and yeah, you're it really
3: does. it. So it really does. Yeah, it does. And, you know, my mum is a very independent and, you know, lives her life very much so. So she's definitely not like, you know, a, a nanny. She's a grandma that swoops in, gives her kisses and then gives her back to me. Really? But like I say, she washes the clothes. And, you know, she'll do cooking at the weekend, but, you know, she's, she works and and she's out of the door at 7.30 every morning and back probably about 7.38 every, every evening.
2: Which is nice for her as well, because she's got her own life, like you say, so she does her thing, but she also gets to experience a really close grandparent relationship.
3: It is lovely. And this weekend, this Saturday, I I was really, I I struggled last week. I was so tired because, you know, it is hard and I'm not, I don't think it's hard just doing it on your own. It's hard having a a newborn, like period, whether you're doing it on your own or not is hard. And I was really tired. And she did say, which was lovely, stay in bed this Saturday. I'll look after the baby. And that's exactly what happened. So that was really nice. And I do think, you know, it's things like that you're just not going to get from a husband.
2: (laughs) If anybody is listening to this podcast, this is the best gift I think you can give any parent, to be honest. But particularly a solo parent, if you just let them go back to bed so they can just catch up a little bit. I now wish... I didn't have children but a lot of my friends did. And mm, if I would have known yeah. that I could have helped them, I would have, I just yeah. did not realise. Yeah. It's such a shame, really.
3: It is, it is. But you can only do what you know. And yeah. next time you're surrounded by somebody who's had a child, you'll, you'll do things differently. And, you know, I've had friends come round, well, actually not even necessarily my friends, my mum's friends have come round with food. In the okay. first few weeks, that was just so helpful. Yep. And one of my friends actually, she comes around often, and she just takes the baby, and she's like, "Just relax, just chill."
2: Yeah. And
3: that's quite nice. And it's things like that. They're just and it's it's help.
2: it's easy, isn't it? If you've got friends who almost just like muck in, so they don't they're not a guest and they're not waiting yeah, exactly. to be told. They're just like get, <laughs> yeah, get involved and muck yeah. in. It's helpful, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely,
3: really helpful. But again, you know, you've got to know that that's what a new mother needs. And also, yeah. you've got to be comfortable some people who come to my house may not feel comfortable to just walk in the kitchen and make me a cup of tea and themselves a cup of tea I don't know I mean they should do but you know you just don't know how people feel
2: you don't and actually everyone's different there may be some people who were like what the heck are you didn't get out of my kitchen <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah, not every, maybe not everyone wants that but I know a yeah. lot of people who do so
3: yes yeah, same
2: and tell me, Talia, so Minnie is three months. And so how have the, apart from the lack of sleep, how <laughs> have the last three months been?
3: So she's three and a half months. And so it's been amazing. I mean, my, the highs and lows of, you know, the journey didn't end at trying to get pregnant. Um, you know, they went into labour I was induced and uh, and then I had to have they told me I was going to have a cesarean it wasn't it was it wasn't an emergency emergency it was a you know put your gown on walk down to surgery put your playlist on really nice atmosphere all female surgeon team I must add and the female surgeon which was fantastic but as they were about to operate they said would you like to hold the baby as soon as she comes out or with your mum and I said oh yeah I'd like to and then as they were working on me the surgeon said Talia I'm really sorry you're not going to be able to hold your baby and I think they pressed a secret button and about 10 paediatric doctors and nurses ran into theatre took her, she was grey, she was limp. I actually thought, like I did, I actually thought, this is not good and not gonna end well. Interestingly, sorry, that sucking noise is is (laughs) (laughs) interestingly, my whole life, you know, as I said, my mum and I super, super close. My whole life, if I'm unsure about something, and this is probably where my optimism comes from. If I'm unsure about something or, you know, you don't know how something's gonna work out, I always say to my mum, you know, Mum, is everything gonna be okay? And she'd always say yes. Is everything going to work out OK? Yes. Will this end well? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Everything was positive. Everything was yes. The first time in my 40 years, I looked at her and I said, "Mom, is everything going to be OK? And she looked at me with a tear running down her eye and said, I don't know. And that was like horrendous. And I thought I've lost my baby and I've not even met her. And then we were looking over where they were kind of handling her. And then I just saw her little hand raise and then she screamed and then they gave them, gave her to me. And yeah, that, that was the start of our little life together. And she um, made
2: a dramatic entrance. So do you, do you know what, what had happened? What, what yes. Yeah,
3: so nobody had realized that she was breached. Ah. So her head was stuck inside me for longer than it was supposed to, and she lost oxygen. Right. Uh, and the surgeon did say at the time when she took when she opened me up, she said, Oh, feet. Mm. He didn't say it out loud, but she said that, you know, to one of her colleagues and mm. she was really surprised. He feet are not a head. So I don't know how it works, but I suspect that they would have done something differently right. if they'd known that she was breached.
2: Right. Um
3: but yeah, that was um, quite scary for everyone.
2: Gosh, um, and after everything you've been through, you're probably on a bit heightened alert as absolutely, well, are yeah. Absolutely.
3: And, and, and I was during my pregnancy, actually. Yeah. I can't say my pregnancy was particularly enjoyable, just because pregnancy after loss is really hard. And in hindsight, I think I probably should have spoken to somebody about it because... Right you know i I struggled I thought I constantly thought something was going to go wrong if I'm honest so even now when I look at her I, I cannot believe that you know she's mine and that she's here so going back to your question that the first three months have been a joy they've been an absolute joy I have been blessed with a baby that's full of personality already she, she started sleeping well again she had a a period where she didn't and but you know apart from that it's it's really fun she's very smiley she's very happy she likes reading books with me <laughs> I'm just excited about our future together I just I feel very 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 blessed and so grateful that she's here and that you know she's got her ten fingers and ten toes, and <laughs> and
2: you know. she's so chilled. She's just sat on your like I could never have done a podcast interview with Daisy because she just was chilled on I my mean, yeah, knee. So yeah,
3: yeah. it goes she, well. She's quite chilled, yeah, and she's she's very inquisitive. But I think that's a girl thing, actually. I heard that girls want to just look and see everything that's going on. But yeah, it, it's been an amazing. Three and a half months. She's got her third and final set of vaccinations today. And yeah, it's it's going amazingly. We've just booked our first holiday, and oh. I'm just excited to do lots of things with her. It's it's a real dream come true. And there isn't, and there hasn't been one day in this three and a half months that I thought, I wish I wish I did this with somebody. And actually, what's quite interesting. When the baby is here, the things that I used to worry about before I even got pregnant was, what am I going to say to people about how she was conceived? What are the conversations that I'm going to have with her? How how is this all going to play out? When the baby arrives and you feel this overwhelming sense of love and pride and you know you you you're spending time with the thing that you have created this person that you've created the conversations almost seem to fall in place i know what i'm going to say to her i know the conversations i'm going to talk to her talk about her talk to her about when she asks how she came to be everything that i was slightly worried about has disappeared People that, you know, I've got older members of the family that do kind of say, so who's the dad then? And actually it's really easy now to say she's, she doesn't have a dad, she's donor-conceived through the clinic, I did IVF with my eggs. And actually you, you become really confident in this journey that you've been on and that actually I don't think anyone could ever make me feel anything but proud of the way that I've conceived my child. And I'm pleased that I did it when I did, because I'm 100% ready. And I think when you choose to be a solo parent, it's because you've got to a stage in life that you are so ready. And I know that young people do it, but I think the majority of us are in our kind of late 30s, mid to late 30s, and we're ready. You know, I don't have to make an excuse as to why I'm a solo parent, mum I've chosen this I've chosen her and I like like I said in the beginning I would go through it all again every single bit of it to have this baby and I just I feel so blessed
2: oh and it's so nice to speak to someone who's got a three and a half month old and is speaking so positively because it is you know, it is a hard time, like you said, mm. it's, it's challenging, but you can tell just how much you're loving it, which is
3: really so nice.
2: I am. Um, yeah. You talked a bit about you, some, your wider family. I've interviewed some Black women before who said that their family, they found it harder because culturally you know sometimes their family just don't get it have you have you experienced that at all I'm sure it's different um, for everybody but have, have you yeah, had yeah. any of that so
3: though, I think I don't know if there's a cultural difference I don't know if it's a culture cultural thing yeah because it's unusual isn't it to choose yeah. to have a child on your own with the donor where you've never met the man it's unusual for anybody But I think the difference with me, I'm an outspoken person and I was very, very, very vocal about wanting to do this before I just started the journey. So it's not like I was pregnant and people were like, oh, how did that happen then? I sowed the seed really early on. And actually what I did do when I split up with my ex and I, I was considering going down this path, I phoned the people in my family Whose opinion I cared about, right. and I said, "I'm thinking of doing this thing. What do you think?" Two of my cousins were like, "I don't know why you didn't do that years ago." I <laughs> love it. <laughs>
2: yeah, and
3: my uncle said, "I think it makes sense. I think it's a great idea." So wow. I sowed the seed. I had the conversations. I yeah. was open about it. Um, I needed to do that for me. Yeah. um Also because I didn't necessarily want people to think something that I'd chosen to do was strange so you know I thought I'm gonna ask the question but also educate people and let them know what I'm thinking and what I'm considering so you know when I well I guess when I was first pregnant people had already known that this is what I was planning but then I had miscarriage and then when I got pregnant again after the miscarriage and now that I've got her to be honest I think people are just grateful that she's here and nobody really cares she's come about. She's here. I've been through a lot. We've got her. She's gorgeous. Everyone loves her. And, you know, having a new baby in the family just makes everybody smile. And I'm even surprised that there are some people who haven't even asked.
2: I think you're right. I think that sometimes it's a generational thing. Mm. So older generations sometimes take a little bit longer to maybe get their head around it. I suppose mm. it's less common. um, mm. And I think sometimes it is just taking time for people to think, oh, you know, I didn't even think of that. But like you say, mm. so many people are like, oh, great. And most people in our family have just got our best interests at heart mm. and they just Absolutely. want us to be happy. Mm. And um, yeah, I'm sure are celebrating that you finally got what you wanted.
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, like I touched on earlier about history repeating itself, Mm -hmm. you know, I do think, I had a conversation with a friend of mine a few days ago and she was actually talking to one of her friends who's now in her 40s and she's desperate for a child and she is just constantly on the dating sites getting disappointed, trying to meet somebody and she said, look, my friend Talia did this, why don't you do it? And actually, I guess as well, you know, for me, like I said, my granddad lost my grandmother very young. My mom was nine and was brought up with my granddad. And, you know, my mom is a single parent by circumstance. And, you know, like I said, me and my mom lived with my granddad until I was 12. I've had an amazing life. I've seen that it can work and it can work really well. So, you know, my role models, so to speak, are single parents right. and it's worked out amazingly and, you know, have great careers and right. have built great lives for, you know, us. And Millie is going to, you know, have a wonderful life as a result. But, you know, for some people, it's just unfathomable because they've never seen that right. before. And my friend was saying that, you know, her friend couldn't relate to it because her parents are together, her grandparents are together, most of the people in her family are together. The idea of her being the first single person, which, let's be honest, it has negativity attached to it. When somebody's a single mother, unfortunately, it's it's deemed as a negative when actually I think a lot of the time you'll find that you know, children of single parents do absolutely fine and the same as children that aren't. But unfortunately, society does make it quite a negative thing, so people don't even want to entertain it.
2: You're so right at thinking about it. There's such a pressure on people who whose parents are in a really long, happy marriage, because it is quite unusual for that to be the case now. And mm, I think yeah. my parents are also separated. And I think if... I know some people who've got parents who are celebrating their like twenty fifth, thirtieth wedding anniversary, and they're still really happy. It must be harder to let go of that idea absolutely. because you can actually see that that's what your parents have got, yeah. as it, as opposed yeah. it to being a fantasy for other people who who never have that situation. Absolutely,
3: absolutely, and I think things will change. I think things will change as the generations. Get on, you know. I think Gen Z's, for example, they're less bothered about being in relationships. They're in same sex couples. They understand what it is to be a solo mother by choice or a solo parent by choice. Yeah. They understand the intricacies of, you know, either surrogacy or you know, IVF through a donor. And I think, you know, when our children are in secondary school, it won't, hopefully, it won't be too strange that actually they've not conceived or they don't have a dad because they'll go to school with people that have two mums or two dads as well as, you know, single parents that have always existed. So I think as generations go, it will be less of a, an unknown
2: Agree, agree, and I think that hopefully that generation will put friendship and community more at the centre rather Absolutely. than just a romantic relationship. Yeah, yes. Talia, if you were to give people who were considering this path to parenthood advice, what would you tell them?
3: Oh, I would say buckle up for a long ride, because <laughs> it may well be read the data. make sure you're informed. I think it's it's really interesting because it's so individual, but get people involve people. Get people friends, family, get people involved. Some people find it easier to just completely do it on their own. I think the more people you tell, they can help you on your journey. You can start normalising conversations with friends and family that don't necessarily understand it from the get go bring them on the journey with you so also they can become advocates for you and they can have conversations on your behalf because that for me felt like when I was trying, now it's not a problem at all, like I don't really care, but when I was trying, it was really playing at the back of my mind, like how do you explain this? What do you say to this person? What if that person looks at me funny that I've made this decision? But actually I brought my best friends along this journey with me. You know, I know that when people say things, there's people out there talking on my behalf who think it's a great idea and her, actually have voiced to me that they're very proud of me. So to bring people on the journey with you, this is like a big part of your future child's life, what happens before they come to be. So, you know, bring people along, educate them, take their, like, let them make some decisions for you, you know, ask them questions about the donor that you should choose, it can, it, you know, as hard as it can be, it also can be a really fun journey and you don't want to do anything fun on your own. So, you know, do it with people.
2: And how important does the solo parent community
3: been for you? Uh, so important. It has been very, very, very helpful. It's given me another layer of confidence on this journey. It's also strangely really normalize the concept of being a solo mum. You know, I have conversations with people that know nothing about this journey, but because oh. I have built such amazing friendships within this community, some of the conversations I have, I think, well, oh, that's not normal for anybody else apart from us 13 women that I talk yeah. to quite regularly. Yeah. You know, it just makes it, It's it's opened up a whole new world to me about... Coming up to three years, I believe, coming up to three years ago, when I first started on this journey, I I put a post out on the Facebook group and I asked if anyone wanted to meet for a dinner in Camden. I think 14 of us turned up and 13 of us are still very, very, very close. We've actually recently just had a trip to the Cotswolds together. Some with our babies, some are pregnant, some are, you know, due very soon. Some are in the early stages of pregnancy and some of us have had losses. And actually we're like a real sisterhood. We're all very different personalities. And I think we all know that and we accept that, but we all kind of, we all love each other. So... And I I don't say it lightly, and I said this at my baby shower when they were there, And I don't say it lightly that I actually, you know, I would have done this journey without anyone else, but it would have been really hard. You know, it's gone from me having my, you know, close-knit of friends I've grown up with to who I tell everything to, to these women actually who I speak to first about the most important things in my life. You know, when I first had a big bleed, you know, rather than telling my best friend, I told my group of solo moms. you know, we're on a WhatsApp group and I told them and asked for their advice. And, you know, I talked to them about Millie and her milestones and, you know, a rash that I've seen before I talked to anyone else. Mm. So, you know, they've been a great help for me through trying to conceive, but also now that I've got her, they're my new family.
2: I say it to everybody, I have the same. I have a group of solo mum friends who've got children a similar age to Daisy and they just understand exactly what you're going through. So even if you are similar, different personalities, you're in such a similar situation that they can really understand where you are, can't they? So it just makes such a great part of your support network. Yes. I'm a massive advocate of it.
3: Exactly. And then you look ahead Because, you know, yes, I'm lucky to have them in my life and they've supported me throughout, you know, trying to get pregnant and now that I've got Millie. But actually, I really love the idea that, you know, she will be at a place in life where she will know 13 other children who have been conceived in exactly the same way that she has. That even if she goes to school nobody's like her, it's not going to feel strange because there is a lot of people like her and she'll know that and that gives me a lot of comfort so even if we get on each other's nerves we're going to have to stay
2: friends. (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree I I actually was with my solo mum friends yesterday and there's four of us and all the kids were all together at a party and we were just saying gosh as they grow up having each other to discuss their situation here yeah, yeah. so, so so powerful, so important for them, isn't it? It
3: yeah. really is. It really is. And you know, already I'm talking about trying for a, a sibling. Are
2: you? Um wow.
3: yeah. And to purely familiar, just purely because I love the idea of her having somebody else that has been on exactly the same mm. uh, well that has exactly the same blood running through them as her. However, with my solo mum friends and the solo mum community that I'm very close to, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, we're not on our own. She is, no matter what, going to know other people that are also donor-conceived.
2: Amazing. Well, best of luck with um, <laughs> the next stages on your journey. I
3: mean, Thank that's, you. that's a while away.
2: <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Get through this bit first. Lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much Thank for sharing your you. story.
3: You. Take care.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast and would like to access bonus episodes featuring donor-conceived people, psychologists, and other experts, you can head over to my website, thestalkaneye.com, to subscribe to the Thriving Solo membership. For £2.99 a month, you'll get access to members-only episodes, as well as the entire back catalogue. You'll get access to useful resources and a monthly community call, which are a great opportunity to meet people in a similar situation to you. On my website, you can also find more information about the coaching I offer. You can also follow me on Instagram at thestalkerny.com to get an insight into the realities of solo parent life.